ahead and pull out your Bible and something to take some notes with. We believe in taking notes at Victory. Uh, it is a verse, and I'll find that verse eventually, but it is, it is biblical. We're going to take some notes together as we study God's Word. I just encourage you, as God points some things out to you, maybe one thing out of a Sunday, maybe something He shows you in a worship service, maybe something you realize talking with someone, maybe something from the sermon, I encourage you to write those things down. I just, even if you don't take notes the whole time, but that one thing, jot it down. uh, And that way, later on in your spiritual journey, as you encounter things, you realize why God told you that thing. You're able to go back and to look at it. If you write it next to a verse or you write it in your notebook, wherever it is, uh, save that thing and just reference it as we move on our spiritual journey. Amen, everybody. All right. So if you haven't been with us, the whole concept of this series through the crowd is that Jesus was constantly surrounded by crowds of people. The Bible says crowds followed him wherever he went. And so this whole entire series is looking at Jesus's response to the crowds because Jesus saw the crowds. He always looked at the crowds, but he always saw the individual in the midst of it. When you watch the ministry of Jesus as he's moving along, surrounded by thousands of people who are drawn to him, he always sees the individual in the midst of the crowd. He's always ministering to people. He's always seeing individual people. He doesn't see this need for popularity. He's not just seeing the crowds of people. He's not seeing things that's going to fuel his own earthly ministry. But he saw people and he saw their need. He saw the condition they found themselves in. And the Bible says he was filled with compassion. And he looked through the crowd. So today I want to kind of change it up a little bit. And look at this idea on the week of serve week. This pivotal moment in our church where we're going to serve together. We're going to reach out to the community. We're going to love people. I want to look at what it means to be followers of Christ to also see through the crowd. If we're going to follow Jesus, I want to look at his example on how it is that we can also see the individual. Because I think sometimes... Sometimes in our life, and maybe not you, maybe somebody that you know, when we look at crowds of people, or when we look at people around us, we often see our own need for self-justification. We see our own need for gratification, our own need for popularity, our own need to be accepted. And oftentimes we lose sight of the people in the midst of the crowd. We don't see the individuals. We don't look at people the way Jesus looks at people. And I think that needs to change. And so on this week of Serve Week, I want to look at what it means to see people through the crowd. And so I want to spend a couple of minutes in a story in John, John chapter 4. It's an amazing story how Jesus made an impact in a person's life in a moment that doesn't seem all that planned. In fact, you'll see from kind of the, the genetic part of the story how it doesn't quite seem like Jesus planned this, but he took advantage of the moment anyways. And so I just want to encourage all of us to kind of open our eyes to the community around us, to, to look at these opportunities that we have That there's an impact that we can make. There's an eternal difference that we can make. There's something we can do in our community. And not just on serve day, but all throughout the moments of our lives. John chapter 4. We'll pick up the story here in verse 4. And so Jesus is going back to Galilee. So it says he had to go through Samaria. So he's on his way back to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. And he came to a town called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, come on somebody, who's tired this morning, sat down by the well. So Jesus is tired out from the journey, so he sits down at this well. And it was about noon when a Samaritan woman came down to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So the disciples had run on to Chick-fil-A, right, to pick up lunch for all of them. And so they're traveling on this way. Jesus, tired, sits by the well. And the wells in those days are the the gathering places of the town. So this is the equivalent. Jesus sits down in a coffee shop in a city that he does not know. 
And his disciples run on to get food. And so they're in the mile-long line that is Chick-fil-A at noon. Come on, they give us the time. If you've ever waited, actually, you don't wait that long, but it's about 100 cars long, and so I don't understand the miracle that takes place. But the disciples have run on there to get the food, and so Jesus sits down, and he asks the Samaritan woman for a drink. And the Samaritan woman asks him, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I'm glad they put that in there for us. But most of us already knew that, that Jews and Samaritans do not mix. We know this from the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The unlikely hero of that story. But I just want to give you a little bit of context for that. So the kingdom of Israel had been split into two kingdoms after the reign of King Solomon. And so they were kind of at odds with each other, these two cultures. But then the kingdom of Samaria had started to marry outside of the Jewish population. And so they had started to adopt other gods besides Yahweh. So they would still worship Yahweh, but they'd bring in other gods into their worship. And so the other Jews did not consider them to be full-blooded Jews. They did not consider them to be pure. They weren't allowed to worship at the temple. In fact, the Samaritans had built their own temple. They said, we'll just make our own thing. And they had their own area they called the mountain of God where they said they could worship instead of the mountain and the temple that God had established at Jerusalem. And so there's this rift that exists between the two cultures. And then interestingly enough, in that day and age, in the Old Testament, you saw this incredible, all throughout the Old Testament, this value and this respect given to women, all throughout the Psalms and the songs in the Old Testament. But somewhere between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New All of that had been abolished. Women's rights had been completely abolished. There were some outside influences on the culture. And so now in this day and age, there was no value given to women. And so they weren't allowed to speak out in public. They weren't allowed to go out unveiled. They weren't allowed to speak in a court. So they were at odds. They were outsiders in this thing. And so Jesus is breaking racial and cultural barriers by speaking to this woman. I love how Jesus shatters paradigms. I love the way that he ministers to people by kind of just going against everything that they think is how society should be set up. Everything that they think is how people should be treated. And so Jesus shatters this by speaking to her. He sits down in this coffee shop. He sees this person. He sees somebody who culture would say is not of any value. Someone who culture would say should not be even spoken to. But Jesus decides, I'm going to sit and I'm going to make this a part of my life. I'm going to make a difference in hers. I'm going to speak to this person. I'm going to give value to this person because in God's eyes, every person has value. In God's eyes, every person Christ died for. And so Jesus sits down and he says, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to take time out as tired as he is, as, as unfamiliar to the circumstances, as much as he's just waiting for the food to come back. Jesus puts all that aside and we'll see in just a moment. He says, I'm going to give value to this person. And I want us to know in our lives so oftentimes and myself, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. That in our rush to accomplish our things that we would like to accomplish, in our rush to fulfill the tasks we have for the day, to check box on our to-do list, we skip over the people God has called us to value, that God has called us to reach. And so if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to really be followers of Christ to see through the crowd, we're going to have to learn how to value people. Jot it down if you're taking some notes. We're going to learn how to value people in our lives. We have to learn how to place value on them. And so often I forget to pause and to see the people around. And God is constantly sending us moments like this Samaritan woman. He's constantly sending people around us. You cannot walk 10 feet without being surrounded by people. But too often we don't see them. Too often we gloss over them because we have something to do. We have something to accomplish. Not realizing that maybe the most important thing for that day that God has sent us is right there standing in front of us. 
We need to learn how to value people. And so Jesus just off the cuff begins a conversation with her. He asked her to give him a drink. We have to open our eyes and understand that every person matters to God. So he saw a person. He didn't care it was a Samaritan. He didn't care what culture told him. He needed to think about this person. He saw someone he was going to place value on. I think too, oftentimes we see people and we see their conditions. And so Jesus, the Bible says, he saw their conditions. He saw and he had compassion. Too often we see the condition and we have condemnation. We see the condition and we think, well, they just need to get themselves out of that. They just need to break that addiction off. They just need to get out of that relationship. It's kind of their fault that they're stuck in that position. Jesus never did that to people. He saw people and he saw an opportunity to make a difference. And so here on this serve week, as we're going to reach out and we're going to love on our community, I want us to take every moment each day, every moment and see what's the opportunity that God may be sending to us. Because Jesus looked at them, he genuinely had compassion on their souls, not to fuel his popularity, not to somehow build his own earthly ministry to have a lot of fans. He did this to change people's lives. And remind you of our theme verse in Matthew chapter 9, that it says he saw the condition, he saw the crowds, the condition of their soul, that they were harassed and helpless. He had compassion on them. That he saw, and that word saw there doesn't mean he made eye contact. That's not what the word means. It says that he perceived, he comprehended, he cared. That word there, it means he, he understood what they were going through. And then it says, and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Can I tell you, that is not usually how we look at people. I don't know if we'll just be honest with each other today. This is not the usual eyesight that we have for the people in our world. I can just tell you, in my own family, there are times where my wife, Alyssa, will be talking to me. Come on, this last week I had one as well, and I recognized and kind of realized it, that I was looking at her. And I'm like, I'm looking at you, but I just got to tell you, I'm not hearing what you're saying. Like, I, I know I'm in this moment, and I know, I know you have my eyesight looking at you, but I'm doing like four different things right now, and I'm going to get in trouble for this conversation later, and it's just, that's just how it is, all right? How many are, are bold enough to just, you know, just say that to your spouse? Come on, bunch of chickens, the rest of you, that's what it is. They're like, we were in the kitchen. You said yes. And I'm like, I got nothing. I don't remember. I, I, I'm just not coming. You're going to yell at me for this later. I just don't, I got nothing. Well, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus had said he saw, he perceived, he understood, and he had compassion anyway. And I think sometimes we get ourselves twisted up in that. Well, the God doesn't really know what I'm going through or he wouldn't love me. He understands. He sees what people are going through. God doesn't really know the inside of their heart or he wouldn't love that person. No, no, he knows, he sees, and he still cares. He still has compassion. That's the love of our God. And I think God is calling us to value people because the truth is, if we really love God, we'll love people because you can't love someone without loving what they love. You understand that, right? Those of you who are married, you understand that as well. You, you grow to love things that you didn't even know about before you got married. We can't love somebody without loving what they love. First John says, right? If anyone says they love God, but they hate their brother, they are a liar, everybody. You are, you cannot say you love God and not love people. You can't even say it without actually doing it and loving people. And so the message for us as Christians is, if we're going to say we love Jesus, we have to love broken people because Jesus loves broken people. If we are Christians and we're truly followers of Christ, we have to love the broken and the hurting and the harassed and the helpless. We have to value people because Jesus loves broken people. Jesus gave his life for those who were broken. He gave his life for them. And so he looks at this Samaritan woman. He looks at someone no one else would address. No other rabbi would give the time of day. And he says, this is an important person. I'm going to make a difference in her life. Jesus loves the marginalized 
He loves those that culture has given up on. He loves those that churches have given up on. Jesus reaches out to the broken. If we're going to follow him, we're going to see through the crowd. We're going to have to value people. So verse 10, as we get back to the story, Jesus answered. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then in verse 13, he says, you have nuts. She says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Come on, she's a little practical. Where can you get this living water? Verse 13. Are greater than father of the well as did his sons and his livestock. And then Jesus replies to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Listen, if we're going to see people the way Jesus sees them, jot it down if you're taking notes, we're going to have to see the real need. If we're going to see people the way Jesus sees them, the way he interacts with them, In these conversations, in these God moments, when he sends people across our path, we have to get out of this practical mindset the woman had. We have to see the real need. And so Jesus sees this woman. He understands that her real need isn't water. She's got something deeper going on. And we'll we'll get to what she's doing to pacify that need in just a moment. But Jesus looks deeper than just her at the well. He looks deeper, even as tired as he is. And I love that the Bible puts those details in there. That as tired as he is from the journey, as tired as he is waiting for food to come, as hungry and tired as he is, he sees this woman and he sees the real need that she has. The actual need that we have. And we're going to go out in our community on serve day and we're going to paint walls and pick up trash and plant gardens. We're going to do all of those things. We're going to make a tangible difference in our community. We're going to reach out to be the hands and feet of Christ. But can I tell you, at this time next year, about this time of the year, there will be more walls to paint, more trash to pick up. There'll be more opportunities in our community to make a difference because it's a need. Yes, and we're going to meet it, but it's not the deeper need. It's not the deeper need that people have. And the reason why people get themselves in these situations is they try to meet a spiritual need with a physical solution. They're trying to meet a spiritual need that we all have inside of us with a physical solution. And that's why Jesus is speaking into this woman's life. He sees that there's something deeply spiritual going on more than just the water she's trying to draw up out of the well. And yet in our culture... Too often times we turn to physical solutions. So often in our culture, in the midst of our problems, in the midst of our needs that we have, spiritual needs, we turn to physical solutions to meet them. And so we look at people who are in addictions because they're masking the pain. We, we look at people who are turning to food or to drugs or to alcohol, whatever it is, to try to mask pain that's in their life. And they're trying to meet a spiritual need with a physical solution. Trying to meet that need inside of them. And I promise you, anything like that, if it's meant to meet a spiritual need, anything physical will only be temporary. Anything we try to meet with that will only be temporal. You have to get the drugs again. You have to do more to get the high. You have to continue to go back to that thing. Anytime you try to meet a spiritual need with a physical solution, I promise you it will be temporary. It will run out again. It won't alleviate the real pain. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a temporary solution for a spiritual need. It will never truly meet the need that you have. He talks to this woman and all of us have those needs and we pacify them in different ways. Too often times we look at someone else and we how they pacify that need and we judge them or we condemn them. When other people we're sitting in the exact same way just looks a little bit different. For some of us, we get on Instagram or our social media and we have to post and get the likes and it makes us feel good. That, that little number underneath, we're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gaining acceptance. I'm getting that thing that I need, but it wears off. It's temporal. So we have to go back and get more and more and more to replace that same high that we got. And so oftentimes we get addicted to those things, and those things are not the deeper need. 
Those things are not meeting it in any tangible way. And Jesus says, here's this woman in a broken condition. He says, you know what? I see a need, but it's not the real need. I want you to know you can drink from this well, but it's not going to satisfy. You can draw water out of here, but you're going to be thirsty again. And Jesus is saying, I have the answer to the deeper need, but you have to recognize that it's there. You have to recognize that you need it. And it's a good reminder to us as Christians that there are temporal things. Yes, we have to drink and yes, we have to eat. But if we're doing those things in order to satisfy a spiritual need, it will never last. If we're doing those things, in fact, Jesus is saying, I'm offering something that's deeper. And not only is it just for her. He's saying not only is the eternal life that's just going to be inside of you. No, he says it's going to rise up inside of you until it bubbles over. Jesus is saying when the Holy Spirit touches your life, when you actually have a relationship with him, when it actually brings you out, meets that deeper spiritual need that we have for acceptance or significance or meaning in our life, when that need is met, not only does it bless ourselves, but then it overflows to those around us. When you have that connection, you have a relationship with Jesus, an authentic relationship. When you actually connect, when you actually have that inside of you, not only does it meet the need in yourself, then it bubbles out to those around you. Then it becomes your testimony. Then you say, look what God has done in my life. Now, why can't he do it in yours? When you reach out to those around you. And so we begin to to meet this spiritual need, not only for ourselves, but for our families. For our children, for the friends, for the work, for the people we want to reach. We have to be able to accept that Jesus can meet that need in us. He can meet that need in others. So we value people. We value them. We give them eternal value that Christ died for them. Then we see the deeper need. And I love the response of the woman in verse 15. Because can I tell you when that deeper need is met? When you begin to bless those around you, you begin to live out of that overflow. You begin to live out of that overflow of the life that he's placed inside of us. That I'm not, I'm not living anymore for that next hit. I'm not living anymore for that next drink. I'm not living anymore for that next need that I have. I'm living out of the overflow to be a blessing to those around us. And so the woman responds in verse 15. She said, would you please give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water? Do you know everybody is thirsty for the real answer? She thought she had hit upon the real answer. She thought that she had it in her brain. She, she realizes something is here that she needs. She's not quite all the way there yet. And we'll see that in just a moment. But you know, everybody is hungry for the real answer. Everybody wants the answer. Nobody wants to be stuck at their addiction. Nobody wants to be stuck in a cycle of unhealthy behavior. Nobody wants to be there. And when they recognize there may be a way, everybody wants the way out. Everybody wants that need to be met. We have to remember the people that we're serving, the people who are trapped in the condition, the people that we are loving and giving value to. They want the answer. They want to have the truth. They don't want a facade. They don't want a fake hypocrisy. They don't want anything that's going to try to lift them up and then leave them and take advantage of them. But they want the actual answer that can meet that need. And so she said, Lord, give me whatever it is, this water that you have. I want to actually be free. And it's where Jesus takes it a step further and he changes the conversation now. So he has her interested. He has her knowing that she wants whatever this answer is he's talking about. But he takes it a step further and he begins to address a behavior in her life that's incredibly unhealthy. He now begins to turn the conversation and he addresses a behavior that she's gotten herself stuck into the deeper need. Verse 16, he says to her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you said you have no husband. Because you've had five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. What you said is very true. And so Jesus, Jesus brings this conversation now, has suddenly taken a turn and she feels like a turn for the worse. Can you imagine how exposed and, and my, how embarrassed she feels in this moment? 
She responded. She thought she was in this conversation. She thought she was going to be given water that would never run out from this well so she wouldn't have to draw. And Jesus turns it now. He's gotten her into this conversation. He begins, he says, it's right that you said you don't have. How many know she feels pretty exposed at this moment? And Jesus right, you ain't got no husband because reality is you've got five husbands and the man you're living with, you're stuck in this cycle that is incredibly unhealthy, that is actually killing your life. And we're going to address it right now in this conversation at the coffee shop. And you can imagine this woman is sitting there. Jesus is basically telling her, you're stuck in this unhealthy cycle of relationships. You can't pick them and you can't stay with them or they can't stay. Something's going on. So you're stuck in this. And so now you've just decided, I'm just going to live with whoever it is. And I'm just going to, it just, it doesn't even make sense to get married because it just, it just never works out. And this unhealthy desire she has for acceptance, whatever it is going on in this woman's life, that she's cycled through all of these men, that she's looking for something, that she's hoping for acceptance or significance. And it's creating pain and problems instead of acceptance. It's not the solution. Reality is in the Bible says, so as Jesus begins to speak to her and lay out these things to expose this part of her life, to talk about this unhealthy relationship, the reality is, is we are going to have to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians chapter four, it says, we'll speak the truth in love. And then it goes on to say, following Christ's example, as Jesus did, we're going to speak the truth in love. And that's the third one. If you're jotting notes, jot it down. We're going to speak the truth in love. Because too often times, Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't passing judgment on this woman. It's not condemnation in this moment. He wants to free her from this cycle. He wants to bring her out of this. Because once you see here, he's not having just a casual conversation. Yeah, it's, it's water. Water's great. You know, we all love water. We're at the well. And then he just kind of moves on with his day. He's not having a casual conversation. This isn't small talk. He's brought this around now to this moment that he's going to expose something in her life. He's going to address an unhealthy behavior. And so he asks, he's not just saying, water's great, would you give me a drink? No, he's trying to make an eternal impact in her life. And so he has to meddle a little bit. And I know some of you are excited about this part of the sermon. Some of you are thinking, this is my, this is my chance, right? The pastor said, I can meddle all I... No, he meddled, and I'm going to show you in a very specific way. The way that Jesus brings this conversation around. And he's like, tell me about your life, go and get your husband. And we're going to... He brings this around, but then he addresses it as she begins to open up to him. As she begins to talk with him, he addresses this unhealthy behavior. And he's looking at five husbands, the guy you're with, not your husband. He's not passing judgment. He's not condemning in this. He's showing that this is what is destroying your life. This is what is keeping you in this cycle. This is what the unhealthy behavior is. And he's not condemning and saying, pointing his finger and saying, you're such a terrible person. And I don't, now that I know this about you, there's no way I would ever have started this conversation. No way I would ever have been friends with you. No way I'm going to just point my finger, blow up your life at this well and leave. Notice that's not the intent of the conversation. Jesus wants to make an eternal impact in her life. He wants to change something in her life. And so that's why he is bringing this up. It's not to blow up the person. It's not to judge or condemn the person. It's to show them the unhealthy relationship and then give them the way out. Show them the rescue that he has come to bring. And I want to make this point that truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. When we bring truth and there's no love attached to it, when it's a truth that just tries to blow up people's lives, one of them is this harsh judgment. And I'm telling you, there are two, there's two mindsets in the body of Christ today, and both of them are unhealthy. It's been rising in the church, especially in our culture. There's two mindsets. The first one is this truth without love. 
that just blows up people's lives, that just points the finger and says, There's, that's wrong, that's wrong, and I'm not going to do anything about it. That says, I'm just going to condemn and I'm going to blow up your life. I'm gonna, I don't care about the ramifications of what I'm saying. All I care is that I said it. And too often times, that's so, too often times, that is our, that's what the church, unchurched people expect of Christians. It's what they expect if you were to, to poll the unchurched and ask them, if we were to bring out your sins to life, how do you think a Christian would respond? Too often times, it is truth without love. Too often times, it is this no ramifications to what I say. I just need to get it out there and just say it and feel good about myself that I said it. That's brutality. It's expect, expect a believer to be judgmental and harsh to the condition they find themselves in. Truth that just blows up people's lives. Truth that just leaves them in their point. No, we have to love them because we want to point them to Christ. I would remind you that we want to get the addiction out of their life. We want to rescue them from the relationship that they find themselves in. We want to rescue them out of the condition. We don't want to judge them for where they are. We want to point them back to Jesus. And so oftentimes in our lives... We come across people who are hurt and hurting, people who are lost and marginalized, people that everyone else has given up on. And too often times we point the finger with no love attached. But then there's another mindset that's equally unhealthy, and that is love without truth. And that's this idea that sometimes has crept its way even into the church, that we just love everybody at every moment. We just love, love. God is love. Love wins. Love is better. Love will overcome. Love all this love, love. And I don't care what you do, and I don't care what you say. I'm just going to love you and accept your lifestyle and accept everything about you. That's love without truth. If I don't tell you that you're drinking poison, I don't really love you. It's hypocrisy. And so on both sides of that, we have to learn to understand there's two mindsets. One is both hands out, rejecting people. One is both hands open, accepting any type of lifestyle or action. And we need to learn the balance between those. And it talks about that in Ephesians. That we speak the truth with love. We speak the truth with love. We speak the truth that love without truth is hypocrisy. It's not that I'm judging you. I'm helping you to see this unhealthy behavior. I'm helping to point out the thing that may be fueling the dysfunction in your life. And I'm always going to point you to Jesus. We have to tell people the truth, but in that balance. And this is what people got so upset with Jesus about. They would say, well, man, if he really just knew the person that he was talking to, then he wouldn't have that conversation. If he really just knew what they were into, then he really wouldn't approach them at all. If he really knew that person's heart, he wouldn't be in their house. They would look at Jesus and Jesus comes on the scene and says, I don't care about my reputation. I don't care what the church people say about me. I don't care what everybody looks. He said, I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to approach these people. I'm going to teach them. I don't care what happens. I don't care what my reputation, if it takes a hit in the community, Jesus would tell them and he would show love to people. But in every situation, you see that balance where he would always then say, then leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. Leave that life that you're in. He would always bring truth with love. It's what Jesus does for this woman. He says, look, the condition that you're in is not a healthy place. The condition you found yourself, you don't have to sell yourself to every loser that comes along. You don't have to live in this dysfunction. He's telling her there is water of living life that can well up inside of you. Jesus is bringing the truth, but he's bringing hope right on the back side of it. He's bringing the truth to this woman's life, but he's bringing hope and love right alongside of it. Because listen to me, church, the message of the cross is unashamedly come as you are, but it is never stay as you are. The message of the cross is never stay as you are. It's come as you are. All are welcome. You don't have to clean yourself up to make it to Jesus. But when you do make it, he has the hope that you're looking for. 
He has the forgiveness that you're looking for. It's at the foot of the cross that we find redemption. And every single one of us has need of the grace of God. And how dare we shut the door in the faces of others? How dare we hold them at arm's length when we needed forgiveness? When we still need forgiveness. Every day we need the grace of Jesus Christ. And who are we, church, to withhold it from others? You have to begin to see through the crowd to love people. He always addressed people's issues. Verse 25, so she responds, Lord, I know the Messiah is coming. I know he's coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So her response to Jesus pointing her to the truth, her response is one that a lot of us have had, a lot that a lot of people have when they hear that there is a way out. It's a religious response. It's a religious. It's, in fact, in the verses before this, she says, well, our forefathers, the Samaritans, they built this temple and this mountain. They say we should worship here, but you Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. So which one is, you can see this religious response she has. This idea that, okay, I hear that there's hope for change, but immediately her mind goes to, then give me the steps I need to take. Give me the religious steps. Give me the the pattern of worship or give me the pattern of a lifestyle. Give me the the four steps I need to do this week to make sure that I am free. Make sure that I'm living this whatever it is. What are the four things? What is the religious response to this? And I love Jesus looks at her. Because so oftentimes we included, we think it's behavior modification. We think if, if if I can just modify my own behavior, then I'll accept and I'll have the truth that I need. If I can just clean myself up, just give me the steps I need. Give me whatever it is that I need to then clean myself up to make things right. And Jesus looks at her and he says, no, no, it's not, I'm not trying to get you in a pattern of worship or, or some pattern of religion. He says in verse 26, he declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. I'm the Messiah. And so oftentimes we misunderstand our role as Christians. You can jot it down if you want to, but I want to internalize this. And that is our job is to point people to Jesus. Our job is not to decide if people are worthy enough to come to him. Our job is not to decide you need to do this, 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 this. That's not our job as Christians. Our job is to get people to Jesus as fast as we can. To point them to the Messiah, to Christ, to the redemption that comes from a relationship with him, not religion. We're not trying to sell people on church membership. We're trying to get people to Jesus. We're trying to get people to the cross. We're trying to get people from this side of eternity to the next, to spend eternity with him. And that's our goal as a church, is to get people to Jesus as fast as we can. It's not about the temple you worship in. It's not about the mountain that you decided. This is, it's not about that. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. I am he who's speaking to you. He points her to himself. And we as a church need to point people to Jesus. Because God knows if he can get their heart, if they have a relationship with him, he can get the rest of it. This isn't about us giving people the 10 steps, the 20 steps, the 30 steps they need to take in order to gain God's approval. We need to get them to Jesus the same way we were got to Jesus. And I know the grammar is not right there, but it felt good to say it that way, everybody. The same way you were brought to the cross, the same way you were shown the grace of God, we need to show to others. And we are going to reach out that he's after their heart. And we have to remember as Christians, evangelism is messy. Reaching people is a messy thing. We're we're not in this to say, well, if you just do this, 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 if you just follow this, 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 or else, if you don't, I'm done with you. Or as if you don't do what I'm telling you, you need to do four or five, six, seven things or else I'm, I'm just, I'm done with your life. No, evangelism is messy. It's beginning to get into people's lives and to pray for them, to begin to, to sow a seed or begin to water. The Bible says one sows, one waters. It's God who makes it grow. You may be at a part of their life where they're on this spiritual journey and you don't know which part you're in, but you're called to be faithful to that part. 
Just because you had a list of things you wanted them to do or else you're not going to be a part. That's not what we're called to be as a church. We're called to shepherd them in the situation and opportunity God has given us. And so we come across people all the time who may be in a different part of their spiritual journey. You're called to water that part. You're called to bring them a little bit further. Maybe somebody else takes them on the next stage. God will send another opportunity. But we're called to be faithful where he has put us to invest into people's lives. And it's honestly, it's impractical as a church to expect people to be forced into what we try to make them do outside of the love of Christ. Because this is the problem Jesus had with the church leaders of his day. They had come up with all of these rules in order to allow people to even enter the temple, to even allow people to approach God. They had all of these rules and regulations. And he said, you shut the door of heaven in people's faces. And too often times as a church and too often times as believers, we come up with our own things. That we don't know where people are in their journey. We don't know where they may be, where they're trying to discover who Christ is to them. Where they find themselves in spiritual community, how they're going to follow after God. It's a messy. There are people I've prayed for years to come to Christ. That I pray people would come across their path at different scenarios and different places to reach them in a way that maybe I couldn't. It's a messy thing to evangelize, but it's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to do, to be the hands and feet, to point people to Christ. And so the disciples come back in verse 27. And it says, they're surprised to see that he's talking to this woman. But no one asks, what do you want or why are you talking to her? They're, they're surprised because this wasn't done in their culture. This is, this is the surprise they have at this. But they don't ask that. They come back and they say, and the Bible says, she left her water jar and went back to the town and said to the people, come and see this man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And so verse 30, it says, the people from the town are coming. So she goes back into the town and tells them, come and see this man who told me everything. A prophet, the Messiah has come. And it says the people from the town start streaming out, start making their way to Jesus. So revival is about to hit this town. It's about to be incredible revival we're going to read about that just makes its way to this town because of this moment Jesus spent. But watch the disciples. Meanwhile, his disciples, so the whole town is coming. They're about to get saved. This incredible spiritual moment. His disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Rabbi, we went and got all this food. Rabbi, I waited two hours at Chick-fil-A, Rabbi. We brought this food. But he said to them, I have food to eat. That you know nothing about. I've already eaten the food that I needed for this day. I have food to eat that you have nothing about. And so his disciples said to one another, did somebody else bring him Taco Bell? Did somebody else, like, like where we were gone, did somebody else bring him food? Like, is this, like, was this a big joke on the disciples that we just, because look what's happening. This happens to us all the time. And honestly, I was convicted this week reading this verse. So often, this happens to us as Christians, as believers. Because revival is about to hit this town. Revival's about to be this work. They, they're so focused now on the work of their ministry that they're not seeing the spiritual momentum Jesus has just created. The disciples are so focused on this thing that they're trying to do that they don't see this, this incredible revival that's about to hit. And so oftentimes we'll be in the middle of a city on the verge of revival. Or we'll be in the middle of our workplace where we don't know that there's about to be salvations and people turning to the Lord in the middle of our school. We'll be in the middle of the situation of this thing. And all we're focused on, instead of the impact that we're having for Christ, all we're focused on is this work or this thing, this task that we're trying to accomplish. Let me tell you this way, as we serve people, we have to stay focused on the eternal. As we serve, as we do things, and I... Love serve day. It's one of my favorite times of the year that we go out as teams and we serve. But we always do this with our eyes focused on the eternal. Because the disciples in this moment, they're like, 
they're looking at what they're supposed to be doing. And it was good. Jesus probably sent them to get the food. But they're missing the eternal impact that's about to take place. They're missing this thing that they're right on the cusp of. The city's getting ready for revival and they're obsessed. Like, did he get pizza from somewhere else? Like, are we going to get food? Is this like, can we, can we like get our thing right? Can we, can we be first in line? And too often times they lose sight of what it is that's actually happening. I think sometimes we do it ourselves. I think it's easy sometimes, even when we come to church, because it's easy at the end of the service. We'd be like, well, Nick's playing the piano. You get the kids. I'll get the car right. We'll be first to Panda Express. We'll just be. It's easy sometimes to miss the impact of what's actually happening. There may be somebody sitting in this room or somebody watching online that God is working on their hearts. And we miss that. It's too easy sometimes to do that, even on a Sunday or even in an outreach, even on a serve day, to lose sight of the eternal impact that's taking place. We see it even on Sundays. It's not that we're greeting at the door, we're we're making the coffee, or we're up here playing instruments or singing. We're doing all of those things, but we're ministering to people. It's what this is about. We're, We're opening the doors of heaven. We're showing people to Jesus. This is what the eternal impact is, and we cannot miss it, church. So this Saturday, yes, we're going to paint and yes, we're going to clean and yes, we're going to deliver meals. We're going to do all of that. We're going to bring supplies, but it's not about that. It's about the eternal impact. It's about the person on the other side of what it is that we're doing. We can never forget to have the God conversation. In every situation, it doesn't have to be this long, prolonged, our Father who ought. It doesn't have to be that type of thing. It's, hey, can I pray with you? Hey, can I talk to you about what Christ did in my life? Hey, I know you're going through this hard spot, but can I just bring a little bit of hope? Can I just point you to Jesus? Can I show you what he did in my life and what I know he can do in yours? And we as a church, we cannot lose sight of the eternal. And so Jesus says, this is what fuels me. In the midst of the spiritual momentum, the disciples are trying to get him to eat. And he's like, I don't need that. And the food that I have, the food that I have is to do the will of the father who sent me. He says, this is what fuels my ministry. This is what, what, it's not about getting the good parking spot. It's not about being first in line. It's about making an impact in people's lives. It's the thing that fuels me. It's a good reminder. If we get too focused on what we do, we'll forget why we do it. If we get too focused on the task at hand, we'll forget the why behind it. Listen to me, church. We are called to reach people for Jesus. And anybody who tries to cloud the water, Anybody who tries to use the church as a tool for anything different. Anybody who tries to shut the door of heaven in people's faces will find themselves at odds with God. We're called to bring people to Jesus. So why behind what we do, everything that we do as a church, everything we do as a spiritual community is to point people to the Savior. To point them to Jesus. So he says, my food is to do the work that God has sent me to do. And then in verse 35, Jesus says to them, don't you have a saying? It's four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. You want to see through the crowd. You want to see people like Jesus sees them. Open your eyes. You want to be a church that follows after our Savior. You want to be a church that that says, I'm going to leave everything to follow Christ. Open your eyes. We want to go on serve day and make a difference. We want to reach people's hearts for the gospel. We want to see them pass from death to life. We want to see them on the other side of eternity. Open our eyes. 
This is the calling we have as a church. This is what we're called to do to make a difference. Let's open our eyes to the people around us. Let's open our eyes to the community and the spiritual revival that Christ is starting. Let's get our eyes off of our needs. Get our eyes off of being first in line. Get our eyes off of ourselves. Let's open our eyes, he says, and look at the fields for they're ripe for the harvest. Let's open our eyes. And then we can live out of that overflow. We can point people to Jesus. And as Christians, we can live with that confidence that sin doesn't work, that people are hurting, and that Jesus is the answer. Every head bowed, every eye closed today as we pray. I just want to pray God would empower our church this week. That we've set aside this Saturday as we sign up for serve day, as we get on these teams, as we go out into our community, as we are the hands and feet of Christ, as we open the door with an act of service so that we can bring the gospel. Just pray that we would open our eyes. That we would see the harvest around us. Always pointing people to Jesus. But first this morning, I want to pray for those of you and maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching online and you're just, okay, you think you're here by coincidence. You think it's just kind of a thing you decided to do. I want you to know God has you here for a purpose. And maybe you find yourself this morning far from God. Maybe it was something that happened to you. Maybe it was a decision that you made. Maybe it was a life event that happened that drove you from him or that made you see God as only judgmental. And maybe in your mind you have this image that all he wants to do is point the finger and condemn you. I want you to know that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. That Jesus sees you through the crowd. Not only does he see you, not only does he know what you're walking through, but he loves you anyway. He wants to free you. He wants to rescue you. And I don't care what anybody else has ever told you. I don't care what any church has ever condemned you for. I don't care what anybody else says. Jesus loves you. And Jesus wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's waiting for you to run to him. He even tired at the well that day. He saw this woman and he loved her. He wanted to rescue her, to give her an eternal impact in her life. And so if that's you today, I want you to know that God loves you. He wants you and that this is your moment. This is your chance to run to him. Don't let today pass and say, okay, well, I'll do it later. Okay, I'll do it another. This is your moment. This is your chance that he's calling you. So every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the words to a prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. If you say, that's me right now, I want to pray that prayer. That's me right now. I want to make it right with him. I want him to be in my, I want to be free from these addictions that hold me. I want to be free from this cycle of unhealthy relationships. I want to be free from this thing that's holding me back. I want to surrender to him. If that's you today, I want you to repeat these words. I can give you the words. You have to say them and you have to mean them in your heart. So come on, church, let's pray this with us. Nobody prays alone. All of us today say these words, say, dear Jesus, I repent. Forgive me of all my sin. Forgive me of all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name. 
God, I pray now, Father, over our church for divine appointments this week. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this amazing army of believers. God, I thank you for this opportunity we have all throughout this Serve Day project, Lord. But beyond that, God, I thank you for every opportunity you send our way. Lord, that you have chosen us. You've redeemed us, God, to go and make a difference. Father, I thank you for the souls that are waiting on the other side of our obedience. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to see people come to Jesus. Lord, let us never be a barrier to those trying to find the cross. Let us never stand in the way of those who are looking for your grace. But let us always, with hands outstretched, reach out to those that you love, the marginalized, the broken. Give us a heart, Lord, for those that you love. Give us a heart for the lost. Let us never overlook them on our way to something else, God. Let us see the opportunities that you place in front of us. And Lord, as we answer the call, We'll give you all of the glory and all of the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can you put your hands together for what God has done today?